welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals, a company dedicated to protecting the bees while creating sustainably sourced bee products for our whole families. Without bees, our global food supply would collapse. So protecting the bees protects all of us. As a certified Bee Corp, Beekeepers Naturals cares deeply about the environment, about the bees, and about their employees and their customers and consumers, which is us. If you're new to using bee products, I personally recommend starting with the Propolis Spray. This is a delicious way to support the immune system. And if you aren't familiar with Propolis, it's really incredible. Propolis is the substance that bees use inside the hive to fight bacteria and any other pathogens or invaders that enter the hive. In fact, even if something as large as like a mouse should enter the hive and the bees can't get it out, they can encapsulate it in propolis to keep that from infecting the hive and creating all kinds of bacterial problems. Propolis is naturally antibacterial. It has a compound called pinocembrin that works as an antifungal and it's also an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. I personally spray it in my throat at the first sign of a tickle in my throat or the sniffles, and I spray it on wounds and burns for faster healing. You can save 15% on Propolis and all Beekeepers Naturals products as a listener of this podcast. To get the deal, go to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama to save 15%. Again, Beekeepers Naturals, B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T. U-R-A-L-S dot com forward slash wellness mama and the code wellness mama, all lowercase, to lock in 15% savings. And this episode is brought to you by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end, which is my new personal care company that is dedicated to making safe and effective products from my family to your family. We started with toothpaste and hair care because they, these are the biggest offenders in most bathrooms and we're coming after the other personal care products as well. Did you know, for instance, that most shampoo contains harsh detergents that strip out the natural oils from the hair and leave it harder to manage over time and more dependent on extra products? We took a different approach, creating a nourishing hair food that gives your hair what it actually needs and doesn't take away from its natural strength and beauty. In fact, it's specifically designed to support your hair's natural texture, natural color, and it is is safe for color-treated hair as well. Our shampoos contain herbs like nettle, which help strengthen hair and reduce hair fall, leaving your hair and scalp healthier over time and scented only with natural essential oils and a very delicate scent so that you don't have to worry about the fragrance as well. Over time, your hair gets back to its stronger, healthier, shinier state without the need for parabens or phthalates or silicone or SLS. You can check it out along with our whitening toothpaste and our full hair care bundles at wellness.com. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. And insider tip, grab an essentials bundle or try auto ship and you will lock in a discount. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and today we are talking about women as thought leaders and probably not in the way you might be thinking. I am here with Denise Brousseau, who is a serial entrepreneur who has developed a unique area of expertise. She is a thought leader around the area of thought leadership. She's written a book on this called Ready to Be a Thought Leader. And she teaches courses on that. And the reason I wanted to have her here today is because I've always said that I think women and especially moms have a ton of power in actually creating change on a small and eventually a very large scale. And so we're going to talk through that today and how she works with people to create change. I think often when we hear the word thought leader, we think of 
big time thought leaders like the Dalai Lama or Gandhi or et cetera, when I think thought leadership can happen in our own families, it can happen in our own communities. And I've seen this in examples of people creating change on a societal and even a state level through small grassroots movements. And the people who started these really just having ripple effects in their communities. So today we talk all about this and about how we as parents can be thought leaders in our own families and how we as people can be thought leaders in our own communities. So with that, let's jump in. Denise, welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here, Katie. I'm excited to chat with you today because I think this is a really important topic and one that's going to be really fun to talk about in relation to our audience who's listening today. But I always love to start by hearing a little bit of the background and finding out how you got into this world and got to this place of doing what you do. I've had a very eclectic career. I was not one of those who woke up at the seventh grade and knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, So I started my career in the tech industry and did a lot of software development over many years, in, first in marketing and then product development and then in business development, worked at some small companies, some big companies. And in the middle of that, I, I took a little break to go to business school. And there I met a woman who made a big impact on my career. And she approached me both during school and after school to talk about a project she was working on, on why were women not getting any venture capital funding? And it was honestly something I hadn't known much about. I'd, I'd done my own business uh, before business school, but it wasn't one where I needed venture. And so after we both graduated, we started a new initiative in the Bay Area in which we were focusing on how could we help women understand the value of venture capital, why it mattered, and why scaling a business was important uh, and how to do it. So we started in the Bay Area with the first chapter of our organization and over the next number of years, uh, first I read it part-time and then I read it full-time and grew it to seven cities around the country and also helped start the first venture capital conference springboard uh, for women entrepreneurs. And both of those initiatives were such a you know huge undertaking and such a wonderful experience for me to really have an impact on uh, helping women scale their businesses. And so fast forward a few years later, after I left my nonprofit, both of both of those organizations still continue today under other leadership, but got a phone call from a friend one day and she said, you know, Denise, how you became that thought leader in women's entrepreneurship. She said, I want to do that. And I remember thinking, I was a thought leader, like really? That's <laughs> just not a term that I'd ever applied. But over the next few years, I helped her take her career from being completely invisible in her field to Uh, testifying in front of the U.S. Senate, recognized by the White House, headhunted by the governor to run a similar initiative across the state. And I recognized that the work I had done in women's entrepreneurship, where I became this sort of accidental thought leader, really this uh, spokesperson for this initiative of women in venture, uh, became something I could do with others and for others in a more strategic way. Like, what if you could have a plan? What if you wanted to understand the, the impact of your ideas and bring those to fruition and implement change in a much broader way. What what does it really take? And so I sort of doubled down on that topic and and uh, did a lot of research, started working with a lot of people, wrote a book, started teaching at Stanford as well as online with LinkedIn Learning. And now that's sort of my my area of expertise, which is kind of not what you would have ever expected, but I'm a, what, what people teasingly call a thought leader about thought leadership. That's fascinating. And to like go a little deeper on this, can you kind of walk us through the difference between a leader and a thought leader, like what makes the difference in that? 
What I look at it as, you know, many people think a thought leader is simply somebody who, you know, just uh, starts tweeting uh, there are big ideas. And, I, and certainly there's a small piece of it that is true. But for me, the difference between a leader and a thought leader is that leaders are impacting the people that they can usually interact with regularly. They either have a, some oversight over them, some matrix organizations, some connection with these folks in their communities. Uh, some They see them more often or connect with them more often. Whereas thought leaders are people who are trying to compel or enroll or engage people to take their ideas and carry them beyond. So if I influence you and then you carry my idea to the third person or to a whole community of people, that to me is thought leadership. So instead of one to many, it's many to many. How do you scale ideas? How do you how do you trickle ideas out into the world through connection points as an influencer, through your through your community networks, through your online networks, through your actions and behaviors in a way that spreads change, spreads ideas. That to me is thought leadership. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. You're able to create a change much more exponentially. And I've always said with the Wellness Mama platform that I think moms especially are some of the most powerful people on the planet because not only are we raising the next generation and we have that direct ability to impact the next generation, but we also control so much of the purchasing power in our country and so many other metrics. And so I've always said, I think like if moms really stepped into that, we could create incredible change within a very short period of time. And I know that maybe moms aren't the ones that people immediately think of when they think of leadership and thought leadership, but I think they absolutely should be. And should this is something that women should think about for themselves and in our own families. So from a woman's perspective in this, how what are some of those first steps that we can take, whether it be in our own families, our own communities, et cetera, uh, toward becoming a thought leader and to creating that positive change? Katie, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that it's it's moms and grandmoms. I mean, I think about who who are the trusted, respected folks in a community. It's it's mothers and grandmothers. And so if we understood the power of that platform, that that trust that we've already got, for me, this is about trust. Thought leadership is all about trust. And how do we spread needed ideas? How do we spread our expertise and our best practices and what's really working? And I think about the power of mommy bloggers that was sort of said as a as a catch-all or even maybe a, a denigration of mothers who came to the internet and and yet has had exponential impact across the last you know 15, 20 years. Uh, and so I think the that is obviously one first step people can take is to start coming to the table with their ideas where it's where it's the written word, where it's the spoken word. It's the ability to uh, look at the camera and, and say a, a message or whether it's the ability to write your ideas. Both of those are good first steps. But but I like to go a little beyond that because people can be intimidated by, oh, I'm, I'm not really quite ready for that yet. So I think there's even a couple of steps before uh, those that help to inculcate a change within a community. And the first one is to really be a convener. Again, moms have a real power to be conveners around an idea. I think of all the mothers, I have friends of mine who have had children with some challenges in in learning and have, have had to bring together a community of people in their community, uh, in their school system, and then often across school systems in order to implement change in, in how learning is supported and alternative learning strategies and styles are supported in their, in their school system. 
for me, convening is a really powerful, you're the ones bringing the people to the table, you're the ones setting the agenda that can bring about change and, and cause ideas to spread. And then I think a second one is to, to be what I call an amplifier. So not taking your power of, of your, your voice and your platform and your social media to amplify the best ideas, amplify the facts so that we get rid of these the power of, of negative information to spread, but instead spreading the correct information, the fact-based information, the, the important details rather than the gossip and the, the sensationalism that often happens in, in a community. So I think both of those being an amplifier of the, of the truth and the, and the needed information through email newsletters, through connection points, and whenever you're meeting with people. So that's a long answer, but I think those are some of the first strategies. Got it. That makes sense. And I love that word convene. And I always, I've talked quite a bit on here about the importance of community. And I know we, we've all heard that, you know, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with and just how important having that group and having community is for not just health, but psychological health and uh, for relationships and for so much more. And so I'm curious if you have any tips for people, especially as moms, it can be lonely at times being home with kids and um, feeling somewhat isolated. Do you have any tips for starting that process of convening or building your own community and your own network in which you can start to spread these changes? One of the most powerful ones I've seen is using some online tools like an email list, uh, like a online community like Mighty Networks to create uh, community connections or next door within our own community. So I've had many uh, mom friends who have started the email list, the the influential email list in their community to bring people together for simple things, whether it's exchanging information or whether it is, hey, I, my kid outgrew that baby stroller, does anybody need one? So those kinds of changes. And now that we have tools like a next door, we have tools like a mighty network taking it to the next level and also bringing community together around that that loneliness. Okay, who's going to take the kid to the, who's taking their kids to the pool? Let's all go together versus all of us going in isolated ways or who, you know, who's going to make a run to the grocery store this afternoon and can pick things up. I think in this time right now, when we're struggling with global health challenges, that the importance of those kind of email lists cannot be oversold. I mean, I just, one of my neighbors came up to me just over the weekend and, and, you know, she's, her kids take care of my cats when I'm out of town and, and uh, she came over and she said, you know, I don't know everybody in the neighborhood. I've been here five years, but what if we had an email list just in our complex that connected people around supplies that we might have, health supplies that we might share? So I think the simplicity of a simple email list with maybe a spreadsheet that's attached to it can be a connection point, a help solve some initial challenges that we might all be facing. But secondly, as you said, overcome some of that loneliness, overcome some of that feeling of isolation. Gotcha. And what about like extending to within our families? I feel like moms are naturally like somewhat leaders and certainly thought leaders within our own families and with our kids. But are there things we can do to be more intentional, more cognizant about this and to instill some of these qualities in our kids as they get older? I think the first uh, thing that comes to mind is the sense that we have the power to influence through our the choices we make about what we converse about. Do we choose to be the one who is the, the wise leader, to be the one who is the sharer of the best information, or are we the one who is 
backstabbing, cat cat fighting, whatever those terrible terms are that I, I really dislike and so probably shouldn't even be using. But, you know, are we the one who is passing along the gossip or are we passing along the cheerleading about each other, the amplifying of what's happening in our community? You know, did pointing out what's good and what's what's positive and what's powerful in our in our neighborhoods and our communities and our families versus all the rest which i think it's so easy to get down in the in the spirals and and also just to get down in the spirals of you know spending all our time talking about the traffic and the weather and our latest netflix show instead of talking about ideas and what's important and what and what we what needs to happen and what we we ourselves are doing to to empower and enforce uh, new new actions in our community I think about, I'll give you an example of a guy that I that I just think is so powerful. I don't know if you've heard of this gentleman in LA, he calls himself the, the renegade gardener. And uh, he woke up one day and uh, looked outside his door and he said, uh, you know, there's a strip of land outside my, my front door and, and I'm going to plant a garden there. And rather than what I would do, plant a few flowers, he planted literally a garden. He planted fruit trees and, and vegetables. And the land was actually not owned by him. It was the city's land. And he gets this gets this email and it says, you know, tear out your garden. That's city land. You can't plant there. And he's like, that's ridiculous. And so he started a petition in his community and he went out and, and got a whole bunch of people engaged in the fact that that land should be planted. And we don't have, see, he lived in East LA and he said, there's no grocery stores here with fresh fruits and vegetables. What if we planted in the areas that are needed? And so he took his, his petition to city hall and he got engaged with folks there and he got them to reverse the, not only the statement that the, the, not only the letter he got, but also to turn over other land and over time started building gardens in abandoned lots and uh, outside of homeless shelters and, and places where the community could come together to create gardens. And I think that initiatives like that start with any individual person looking around and saying, what can I do? What what needs to happen? And what can I do? And who else might also care about this? And I think moms absolutely have the power to do that. And of course, we're tired. And of course, we have, you know, a thousand things on our, our to-do list. But it is thinking a little bit beyond the day-to-day to-do list and thinking what could have a broader impact. And I think moms are unbelievably connected through their kids' schools, through their through community or, or organizations that they might be part of to bring together those kinds of change. I absolutely agree. And I love that example in LA with the gardener. Are there other examples of thought leaders that are doing this? Because I think sometimes when you hear that term, you think of, you know, like the Dalai Lamas or the Gandhis or the... Yes, exactly. You think of somebody, well, that would be them. Right? So I'll think about this uh, gal that I know in my community. Uh, She was doing a, I think she did a leadership program in her community. And one of the things that they asked was for her to step forward and, and choose a project. And so she and three or four people in her leadership program uh, created this initiative with a local school to do some tutoring for kids who were not being able to read and write in the, in their, when they're seven, eight, nine years old, because often English wasn't their first language or they weren't getting any attention at home. And so she didn't work at the, you know, kindergarten level, wanted to work a little bit beyond that with the kids who would obviously missed the lessons. And, and so she started it um, with those four or five people. And then after the leadership program was done, she continued it. And, and every chance she got, she would start speaking about it. She would start talking to others about it. And she herself didn't have kids, but she wanted to, to feel like she was mattering to the kids in her community. And uh, pretty quickly, she got people saying, well, 
how did you do that? You know, what did it take? And, and I think this gets to the essential element of leader to thought leader is she wrote it down. She wrote down what it took. She wrote down how she had to get approval and how she created the lessons and how she brought, you know, what she, what she looked at on the internet to buy books for kids and all of the different ways that, you know, she found the resources, whatever it was that it took, she wrote it down. And I think that the difference between a leader and a thought leader is they codify the lessons learned. They write down in a way that they can pass forward to others a technique that is working. And so she, she wrote it down and started, you know, it was a simple, I think it was just a Google Doc to begin with. And then pretty soon other people who started it in their schools would add would add things. And now, I, I don't know how many schools it is, nine or 10 in the Bay Area over the last few years. And you know, it's small. And yet, each child is impacted, that is an exponential change because it's their families that are going to be better off and their children in the future are going to be better off and our workplaces are going to be better because the kids are, are better educated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think we think about each one of these things as being not enough. And yet every change in the globe started with one small initiative. I agree. And I've seen that in my own life as well, whether it's things like community gardens, which I've seen women spearhead, like you mentioned, the one in LA, I've seen women spearhead incredible community projects like that. Or um, where I used to live, home birth was, for instance, not legal in the state at the time. And there was this community of women that formed and that we were able to get the law changed um, and to improve birthing options for women across the state. And it actually had ripple effects into even how women were treated in hospitals and birth centers. And so I think like, like you've said a couple of times, women can be such powerful tools in this. And especially when we shift and focus on the community and the positive and the lifting each other up, because I see that and you probably see it as well in the online world where because we all care so much about our families and our children, it's easy to want to defend our choices. Or I see women argue about like the little points or about things they might do differently. And I've always said, if we could unite about the things we have in common, which is that we all want to leave the world better for our children. And we all want our children to have every opportunity and to make the community stronger and better for them. We would be able to create ripples that completely change our communities and our country very, very quickly. And so I love that this is something that you're actually working with people to do. Absolutely. And I remember going to my reunion of my, I was, went to a women's college and I remember going to a reunion. I don't remember if it was my five-year reunion or my 10-year reunion. And, and there was such an energy in the space about comparing and, you know, sort of envying the person who stayed home with the kids versus the um, the ones who stayed home with the kids, envying the ones who were working or, or maybe shaming, blaming the ones who were doing the other, you know, why aren't you working? Why aren't you, you know, you've got this great education. I don't know. It's just exhausting. If we could just Stop with the comparing and, and celebrate what each one is doing and come together, as you say, around things that matter. It is that is going to be when we take back the globe for ourselves. And also, I would just add to it that rather than necessarily starting something yourself, go out and see what's already happening. I, I'm somewhat frustrated at my own self and others who, who when I when I come up with a new idea, I immediately just want to start a new nonprofit or a new initiative or a new organizations. Like, wait a minute, what if there's already something happening? What if I went and, and added my energy to what's already going on in my community rather than trying to create something myself from start from scratch? Because as the truth is there isn't enough resources to go around and we all need to come together uh, to solve these global challenges, whether it be you know, fixing the, the need for better education of our kids or 
fixing the water or the gardens in our community, we don't need another nonprofit necessarily. We need more people coming together and and even stepping into the next step. And I'll tell you, Katie, maybe to go to one of my little pet peeves here is that um, we tend to spend hours as moms making cookies and and doing the, the food drives and doing the small changes, and yet women are not taking that same energy and drive around a legislative initiative that would actually change, have the impact in a much bigger way around whatever the causes that we're raising the money for it to begin with. And how many times have I heard friends of mine say, well, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get people, get women to, to donate to a candidate or, or get involved in a, in a bond drive or whatever. And, and I can't get anyone to do that, but they're all more than happy to spend two hours making cupcakes or two hours running a bake sale, which is going to raise a hundred dollars versus this bond measure, which is going to raise $5 million. So I think it's also important to take that twist in our in our thinking and understand that yes it is scary and it isn't something you've done before and it is the first time in your community that anybody may have taken something on but that doesn't mean it's impossible and taking the same energy and drive that we do on the small things to to the big things that can have a much more global impact that to me is where we also ought to be focusing our our time and energy does that make sense that does make sense. And and I'm also a big fan, like, like I mentioned it a little bit before, but I think we often underestimate our ability to actually affect change within our own communities. And, and I really think that is actually the most effective place we can start change and then grow from there. Um, and I think women especially are incredibly powerful tools for community change. And you're right, we tend to default to the the bake sales or the volunteering and stuff. And women are great for that. Women step in when there's a need and they help that. But if we just looked a little bit bigger, it's not that we have to go grand scale or run for political office or do something nationwide, doing something in our own community, we actually have the power to create and affect that change on our own, especially when we unite. So I, lo- I love that idea. And I think you're right, we're facing a lot of relatively big problems in the next couple of decades. And I think we have a unique position to be able to start to change that. Absolutely. And, and my invitation is to ask, ask around. There's usually is somebody who has had some of that exper- expertise in your community, if you ask or you look around and and secondly, is to don't just focus on moms. Like this is, it's a community challenge usually that we're facing. And by coming together with working folks who are not moms or dads or people who are um, in, in places of power. So I, I served for eight years on the Housing and Human Concerns Committee in my town. And, and it was simply because I, I woke up one day and realized I had a, a very fine education from some of the top schools in the country. And I had a tech job with a very good salary and I could barely, barely afford to have a condo in my neighborhood. And I thought, okay, I thought that this was what Silicon Valley was designed for, was people like me with a good education and a good job. And if I can't afford to live here, how in the world are other people doing this? And so I just, I was just angry about it and, and confused and, and wanting to make a difference in that. And so found out that you can be appointed to serve on the housing committee in your town. And I never even knew there was such a thing, but you know, I started, I think I complained once, once too many times and people said, why don't you go do something about it? Which is kind of my invitation to others, stop complaining, go do something about it. And so I served on the housing committee and I, in my eight years there as a chair for several of those years, and, and we built a lot of housing and it was, you know, it wasn't perfect. I learned a lot. I, I 
certainly didn't make do everything perfectly, but um, and I had to sometimes vote against people that I cared about who wanted no more building in our neighborhoods and wanted no more housing and wanted, you know, so the nimbyism was definitely some of my own friends were on the other side of me at certain certain key votes. But and I didn't always win. My votes weren't always the right, uh, weren't always the accepted course either for my community but I look now I drive downtown and I see all this great housing and right near transportation and it's some of it is affordable because of our initiatives and uh, I just think that that matters to me more than any time I spent in my community anything else I've done in my community was that getting engaged and doing my best to learn what I could and get together with others to make an impact on something that truly mattered. Got it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals, a company dedicated to protecting the bees while creating sustainably sourced bee products for our whole families. Without bees, our global food supply would collapse. So protecting the bees protects all of us. As a certified B Corp, Beekeepers Naturals cares deeply about the environment, about the bees, and about their employees and their customers and consumers, which is us. If you're new to using bee products, I personally recommend starting with the Propolis Spray. This is a delicious way to support the immune system. And if you aren't familiar with Propolis, it's really incredible. Propolis is the substance that bees use inside the hive to fight bacteria and any other pathogens or invaders that enter the hive. In fact, even if something as large as like a mouse should enter the hive and the bees can't get it out, they can encapsulate it in Propolis to keep that from infecting the hive and creating all kinds of bacterial problems. Propolis is naturally antibacterial. It has a compound called penosembrin that works as an antifungal, and it's also an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. I personally spray it in my throat at the first sign of a tickle in my throat or the sniffles, and I spray it on wounds and burns for faster healing. You can save 15% on Propolis and all Beekeepers Naturals products as a listener of this podcast. To get the deal, go to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash wellness mama and use the code wellness mama to save 15%. Again, beekeepers naturals, dot com forward slash wellness mama and the code wellness mama, all lowercase to lock in 15% savings. And this episode is brought to you by wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end, which is my new personal care company that is dedicated to making safe and effective products from my family to your family. We started with toothpaste and hair care because these are the biggest offenders in most bathrooms and we're coming after the other personal care products as well. Did you know, for instance, that most shampoo contains harsh detergents that strip out the natural oils from the hair and leave it harder to manage over time and more dependent on extra products? We took a different approach creating a nourishing hair food that gives your hair what it actually needs and doesn't take away from its natural strength and beauty. In fact, it's specifically designed to support your hair's natural texture, natural color, and it is is safe for color-treated hair as well. Our shampoos contain herbs like nettle, which help strengthen hair and reduce hair fall, leaving your hair and scalp healthier over time. And scented only with natural essential oils and a very delicate scent so that you don't have to worry about the fragrance as well. Over time, your hair gets back to its stronger, healthier, shinier state without the need for parabens or phthalates or silicone or SLS. You can check it out along with our whitening toothpaste and our full hair care bundles at wellness.com. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. And insider tip, 
grab an essentials bundle or try auto ship and you will lock in a discount. And a question I like to ask uh, toward the end of interviews that's a little bit related, but it might be on an entirely different subject, is if there's a book or a number of books that have had a really dramatic impact on your life. And if so, what are they and why? I think the book that's probably had the most impact on my life is a book called Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard. And it's a book by two gentlemen, Chip and Dan Heath, two brothers, one teaches on the East Coast, one teaches on the West Coast, and they uh, came together to study how does change happen? And since that's something that I work on every day, so how do I help people impact change? How do I help people to, to build more influence? Their, their studies and what they researched around the globe about how small changes can grow into global change had a huge impact on me because they they introduced me to some very powerful ideas. I, I invite people who don't have time to read the book that there's a, a great explainer video uh, on YouTube that you can to watch that is just ex- excellent about understanding all the key concepts of the book. But I think I've probably referred people to that book more than any other I've ever read. And it's had more impact on me because of the work that I do. And, and I don't just add, I think the second is writing a book, <laughs> taking it from the other side, like which book had the most impact? Writing a book had the most impact on me. I, I never expected I was going to be a writer. I, I just felt, and I think you've got several books out um, yourself. I know how once you start putting pen to paper, you have a lot of self-doubt. And as I call it, the itty bitty shitty committee in your brain shows up and tells you <laughs> you're not good enough. Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. But if you can get beyond the perfectionism and, and talk document on paper some of the things that you know and and need to pass forward to the world. I think that has an incredible power and and honestly, an incredible magic, the kinds of magic that has unfolded in my life since that book came out is untold. I made probably not a penny from the book, but certainly brought in a number of incredible opportunities and certainly made money from other ways, speaking and, and coaching and consulting since I wrote that book. But mostly for me, it's been about the the small stories, the, the the emails that I get from literally around the globe of people who've been impacted by that book and and who understood that my blueprint that I created in the book, Ready to Be a Thought Leader, was really about how can you take those first steps? What are the what are the things that you need to put in place? And I, I wrote it as a guidebook and a resource guide for anyone who was who was ready to start this journey or wasn't quite sure they were ready, but what would those next steps be? And I think that that had a huge impact on my life. Awesome. And for people who want to continue learning from your work or uh, follow you online, where can they find you? ThoughtLeadershipLab.com and also on LinkedIn. I have two courses there. So I'd welcome people to go to LinkedIn Learning and there's a course based on my book and then a new one on how do organizations build thought leadership. Awesome. And I know you have some videos um, people can watch as well. I'll make sure those are all linked in the show notes. You've done a TED Talk. Um, I'll make sure people can find all of those. So if you guys are listening while you're doing something else, you can find all of those links at wellnessmama.fm. But Denise, thank you for being here. I think this is, like I said, a very important topic. And I think women have a great ability, especially moms, to, to start affecting change in these ways. And uh, I'm just, I love that you are helping people do that across the board. I look forward to seeing how this unfolds, Katie. Thank you for the time. And thank you, as always, to all of you for listening and for sharing one of your most valuable assets, your time with us today. We're so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? 
Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.